welcome to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Illuminating Primary Care Podcast. Uh, my name is Rohan Fletcher. I'm a uh, specialist recruitment consultant at Menlo Park Recruitment. And today I'm joined by James Catton, an experienced physician associate working within primary care and the physician associate ambassador working with Health Education England to cover Suffolk and North East Essex. Uh, James has been working within primary care for almost five years now and was the first physician associate employed within the Suffolk Primary Care Group of Practices. Uh, James also created and hosts the Physician Associate in Primary Care podcast, uh, where he speaks with physician associates from varying backgrounds about their experience uh, and promotes the impact that physician associates have on both primary and secondary care. Um, So make sure to give his channel a follow and check out some of the podcasts already available. Thanks for joining me today, James. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No problem. So yeah, what I was hoping to do, James, is just have a a general chat really about life as a physician associate within primary care. Um, And I suppose just to get started, um, what was it that attracted you to becoming a physician associate in the first place? And, And what was it particularly about primary care that you found attractive? It's one of those things where when I look back on it now, I think I was just in the right place at the right time. I hadn't heard myself of physician associates uh, up until I walked past an open evening that my university was hosting uh, to launch their first cohort of the PA course. I was doing a master's project um, in the lab upstairs um, and thought that that's the path that my career was going to go down. I thought I wanted to be in academia and doing research in the lab. Halfway through doing that project, I sort of rapidly went off that idea and was searching for what else can I do with my life. <laughs> Just happened to walk past at the right time um, on past down past the lab. They were having the first sort of open evening for PAs. At the time, I was doing some voluntary work for the local ambulance service as a community first responder. I was really enjoying that kind of patient-facing interaction and helping people in the community. And I knew that's more the path I wanted to go down, but I wasn't sure how I could use my science background and my training to get that clinical job. I thought about possibly medicine as a career pathway, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to commit several more years of university studying and going through all the different exams and degrees. I just happened to, upon this meeting, sat in the back of it and heard about physician associates. What really attracted me was it's a new part of the workforce. We're really... Innovative and new, sort of challenging the way things have been done before, and trying to help uh, in new and, and innovative ways, and that really chimes with my personality. Just that sort of innovative streak um, that runs through the PA profession. So I thought, why not give it a go? And I'm so glad I did. It's been such a great decision to to become a PA. Fantastic. Yeah, it's definitely a role that I'm doing more and more work with, more and more practices, and more and more PCNs that I speak to on a, you know daily and weekly basis you know a lot of them are looking to you know utilize uh, physician associates as, as much as possible now so it is definitely growing significantly in in popularity um i mean just kind of on that note obviously a lot of practices i speak to seem to have slightly different expectations of physician associates so you know some focus just solely on the acute on the day appointment some focus more on the you know long-term conditions and so on some are a bit of a mixture of both i mean what does life as a physician associate look like for you on a a day-to-day basis in primary care? Yeah, sure. I'd say you're absolutely right about PAs becoming more popular and there's definitely more interest. So when I first started, it was quite often the case I had to explain what a PA is and uh, justify what we can do. Whereas now I think there's a lot more interest, especially with the 
additional roles reimbursement scheme um, that sort of exploded demand for PAs. And you're right, PAs can be used in lots of different ways. So there are PAs who work in primary care that I'm aware of who do all of the long-term conditions management and they look after the sort of diabetic patients, COPD reviews, learning disability reviews. They look after patients' hypertension and managing all those sort of chronic conditions. That's not all PAs can do, and certainly it's a great thing that PAs can get involved with, but we're also capable of doing more acute on-the-day presentations. Not saying that we can manage all of them independently from day one. You certainly wouldn't expect a, a newly qualified PA to be of that standard. But as time goes on and we gain more experience and more knowledge in our role, we should be sort of being able to take on more of the complex and um, involved patients as well. So we can really cover the wide gamut of things that come into primary care. And the beautiful thing about being a PA is we're not set in stone the way that we're used. Um, So it can be really tailored how the practices want to use their PA, what works for their model, where their demand gaps are. PAs can slot in and be sort of molded um, as their practices want to use them. Yeah. I mean, just on that note, how how do you find working across, you know, multiple practices being part of a, a PCN? Is that something you enjoy offers a bit of I suppose variation from just being in the same practice every day or you know so, how, how do you find that so our practice is is a super partnership uh, so okay. Suffolk Primary Care is I think eight or nine practices that have joined together um, doing a lot of the back office stuff together so a lot of the finances and the HR and the admin and the sort of running of day-to-day businesses is all linked up in the background but we all work on separate sites um, and predominantly we stay in our in our building, in our town, in our in our site. Okay. So I don't move across uh, different practices in that regards. But I am aware of PAs who do do that and are employed through a PCN and perhaps work on several different sites. I don't think it's ideal for a newly qualified PA to be expected to work across multiple sites in, within a PCN. I think it's very difficult because it means that that PA often feels like they're not part of the team. Who do they belong yeah. to? They're rotating every day. How do they follow up their patients and file the results of investigations they've ordered if they're not going to be in that practice again for another week? So I think it's very easy for those PAs to get lost in the system. And and usually it works much better if you've got a PA in one site, maybe two after some experience, but no more than two really would, would be ideal, I think, in, in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. And and to be honest, a lot of the conversations I have with physician associates, um, you know, when I first ask, you know, why it is they're potentially looking at other options or looking to consider other practices, a lot of the time it does come down to the fact that, you know, sometimes working for a PCN, as you say, it can be spread across, you know, in some cases, I've spoken to some PAs that are spread across kind of eight or nine practices, um, you know, and as you say, I think that lack of a sense of belonging, um, lack of continuity, um, you know, although it is every day is different, I suppose, when that is the case, you know, some people like that more than others. So, um, you know, and it's obviously not not for some people. So that is something I, I've found myself after speaking with a lot of PAs that that is one of the main mm, kind of issues agree. or re- reasons for, for looking at other options. So. I think most PAs I know who were put into multiple practices like that won't last long and look for jobs yeah. that are more permanent. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um so I know I've kind of mentioned already that you were the sole um, PA initially employed with Suffolk Primary Care. Um, I mean, what what advice would you give to any physician associates looking to make move into primary care where they might be the first or the, the only you know physician associate within the PCN or within the practice? 
I think it's really important that you get a feel for the culture, for the uh, the way that that organization is run. If you're going to be their first PA, if you're going to be their first taste of what a PA is, you need to know that you're going into somewhere that is going to be very supportive of PAs, that they've yeah. understood what the role is, and then they've got a plan for you and what how they want to use you and develop you over the next three months, then the six months, then years ahead. I got yeah. really lucky and I landed on my feet working at Stowe Health. The culture is very innovative, very supportive, very open to trying new things. But I have heard of other PAs who've gone into practices who they haven't thought about why they want a PA. They've just got one because it was on the R's funding or they wanted to spend yeah, the money. Yeah. And that creates a nightmare scenario. So making sure you've got that culture right, that they really want you for a good reason and they're going to use PAs to the maximum um, of their ability some PAs I've heard of you know nightmare scenarios they were employed just to do COVID vaccinations that's not really using a PA anywhere near the full extent of their yeah. abilities yeah yeah or a PA who only does filing of paths and labs and never sees any patients clinically I mean it's it's not not an ideal job and you're quickly going to de-skill so making sure that there's a really good understanding of what the PA role is is the, is the biggest bit of advice I would give to somebody if you're going into a new organization yeah absolutely and again it comes back to a lot of the conversations i've had with pas um you know a lot of the time if it's not related to the you know number of practices they're expected to work between it's sometimes as you say related to the the type of work that they're doing um you know and, and as you say sometimes it is just covid vaccines or giving them something that nobody else wants to <laughs> wants to deal with which obviously isn't the right way to to go about you know employing a PA for the for the first time um I mean just from your experience were you quite heavily involved in both the acute and the long-term conditions when you initially started or I know you said you've kind of landed on your feet with uh with the practice you're at at the minute but was it quite a varied role from the start for for you yeah it was it was really really varied uh I'm an inherently quite an indecisive human so when I right, okay. qualified as a new PA I, we were in the first cohort to train in the east of England so there weren't any you know role models out there for me to to follow and I didn't really know if I wanted to work in primary care or hospital medicine so I decided to do okay. a contract where I did both so I took two days a week at the hospital and two days a week in primary care just to get a feel for which one I liked better and I did that for four years before eventually deciding okay. I quite like primary care um there's I think a, an ability to perhaps um be a bit more in control of your destiny um yourself in primary care so yeah. uh yes it was when i first started um i was their first pa it was my first job we were just sounding each other out and getting a feel for what how it would work and how pas could work in primary care for them and what they wanted to use me for but they already kind of knew what the scope of practice would be and they and this is crucial they really understood that a day one physician associate is not the finished article and that there will be yeah. a, a period of time and investment and energy needed put into me to let me find my feet in primary care. It's my first job, my first clinical job yeah. ever. So they weren't expecting me to run. They were expecting me to crawl, which is exactly what I needed to do first. So they started me off with very long appointments, doing minor illness type things that somebody had triaged and, and already spoken to on the phone and then booked in for me to see clinically. And I was debriefing every patient with the person who, who triaged it over the phone initially. And I was just taking it very, very slowly, getting to know who everybody in the practice was, how all of the systems, yeah. software, you know, how to examine a patient and record things in the notes properly. And just dealing very simply with, you know, the lower end minor illness, if you want to call it that kind of things um, of, yeah. of clinical work. 
And then after a few weeks, I felt a bit more confident. I could get a bit quicker. I could see more patients. After a few months, we had a review about where I was going next. And it just slowly, slowly built up from there and there. And um, after maybe six months or nine months, it, you know, it was let's have a bit more complexity to the clinical cases that I was seeing. So that was added in. After a year, I started to do home visits. Um, so I was, you know, trained out going out and doing that on my own in somebody's living room or bursting into their house okay. and, and doing home visits with them. So that was a new skill to get. And just year on year, bit by bit, slowly, slowly we've built up. So I take on responsibility for other bits around the practice. There's five yeah. PAs now in my practice. So we've got a team of five. Oh, wow. Okay. Huge amount of PAs for a yeah. tiny little Suffolk practice. So we've got PAs that are now one's the lead for hypertension reviews another is the lead for learning disability reviews another is the lead for sort of resuscitation and um, deteriorating patients within the practice that kind of stuff so we've all carved out a little niche of our own um, within primary yeah. care after time and that's the beautiful thing about being a pa you know we bring in new talent to the nhs we bring in previous experience and the practices can use that and mold us and shape us as to what we want to do and what works for them as well yeah definitely i mean as you've said there with obviously building up the number of physician associates at the practice have you kind of naturally taken kind of a, a lead physician associate not necessarily by job title but just being the most experienced has that been <laughs> something that's just kind of happened or is there any kind of the, the hierarchy be there or is it all done by the yeah. like gp mentors and so on <laughs> so i was going to use the word hierarchy as well um the beautiful thing about where I work is there is almost a sort of flat hierarchy. So we are able yeah. to talk to each other quite openly. And, and if I've got an idea about something that needs changing in the practice or something that we can work on, I'll just go to the senior partners and say, hey, I've thought of this. What do you think? And they'll be like, yeah, yeah it's worth a go. Give it a go. See what happens. Come back and tell us. So having that sort of open door culture is really important. So then, yes, I was able to go, oh, I've heard of this PA in the cohort below me who's looking for a job I think they're really good perhaps we could give him a trial run and see if he's worth employing yes. um, and we got him in that way I'm really interested in medical education I've just done a PG cert in med ed so then I got um, thinking about how we train PAs and that has then led me on to sort of coordinating placements for PA students to come for their GP placement time with us. And that's been a great way to get more PAs as part of the team because they come and have a really good placement experience with us. And then they yeah. want to come and work with us once they've qualified. So yeah, been able to build it up and being the ambassador for Suffolk and Northeast Essex, it sort of allows me to see who's out there and who might be looking for a job and, and help and support people that way as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and just going back to what you mentioned a few minutes ago as well about obviously starting off on longer appointments and things like that. It's, it's often something that, again, a lot of PAs that I speak to, especially those that are more, you know, newly qualified or, you know, have only been qualified for a short period of time, very often do ask if practices would be willing to offer longer appointment times and obviously look to to work that down. I mean, what sort of appointment times were you kind of working to when you first started and what sort of appointment times are you working to now? Cool, blimey. Um, <laughs> well, my, memories, my memories <laughs> doesn't go back that long. Um, so we've got students with us at the moment and we've put them on 45 minutes um, so that they're okay. able to really take their time and, and deal with something. And it's all patients that somebody's triaged over the phone and booked in for them to see. So, and they debrief with us. 
I think I might have started as a newly qualified PA on something like 45 minutes for my very first few days, just as I was figuring out how to use system one and log in and you know, how to turn the printer on and that kind of stuff. But it, very quickly yeah. within a few days, I think I was down to 30 minute appointments for the first few weeks just to find my feet okay. and figure out what was going on. And then that would have gone down to 20 minute pre-booked appointments. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of moving PAs around PCNs and having them working across multiple sites. I guess if you're listening to this and you haven't worked with a PA or you're not sure um, how to get the best out of your PA, don't do something to a PA that you wouldn't do to a doctor is a really good rule of thumb. So if you're expecting a GP registrar, you know, trainee GP to be working on half an hour appointments on their first few occasions. You can't expect a PA two years of university and straight into their first job to come out and work on 10 minute appointments. It's just, just unrealistic. It's not going yeah. yeah, to be yeah. fair to anybody and it's going to set everybody up to fail. So um, we work as a, we've now moved to a sort of triage first model in, in my practice. Okay. So rather than having 10 minute slots of pre-booked appointments, we just have a constant drip feed of patients that come in um, as they contact us through the day. And uh, part of my job is to contact them either through email, through video consultation, over the phone initially and triage them, and then either sort them out online over the phone if need be, or bring them in face to face. And I'm then completely in control of my day and booking my rotor and whether I need to block out half an hour for a patient with mental health difficulties for them to come in and chat to me. Or yeah. if it's just a quick, oh, can you come in and I'll have a look at that skin rash because I can't quite see the from the photos you've sent. Let's just have a look and bring you in face to face. That might only take two minutes. So I'm completely in control of my day, which is really nice you know, to have that autonomy and that flexibility to be able to book what I need to and give it all the, the time and priority I need to, to do it with. I know that's unique for PAs. Most PAs in primary care, I think, do work on pre-booked appointments. And I think most of them average out at about 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. Um, yeah. For something a bit more complex, that kind of seems as a ballpark figure realistic for a PA. If you're expecting a qualified GP to work on 10 minutes appointments, PAs we can't prescribe. We don't have the same level of medical knowledge and education and training um, as experienced GPs. So 15 to 20 minutes, just building in that little bit of slack to get prescription authorized from a senior or to have a discussion with somebody if it's something we don't feel confident to deal with seems seems about the right ballpark figure if you are a traditional practice who works on booked appointments yeah absolutely i mean from again from the conversations i've had with a lot of pas and a lot of practices you know recruiting pas um you know 15 to 20 minutes seems to be the the norm um that goes for a lot of other roles i recruit as well like advanced nurse practitioners and some advanced uh, paramedic practitioners as well within primary care so it tends to be like kind of 15 as a minimum sometimes up to 20 in in certain certain yeah. circumstances um i mean I, I know i've kind of mentioned points throughout so far but is, is there anything else you know that you think either surgeries or pcns as a whole could do you know to better understand the role of a physician associates um, and obviously make life a lot easier for any as we mentioned earlier kind of PAs looking to make that move into primary care and be the first PA at that practice or PCM. Yeah absolutely so if you're not sure why you want a PA don't put a job advert out just in the vain hope that you'll get one because unless you've had a a thought through of what that PA is going to do for you how you're going to use them and how you're going to get the best out of them it's just going to upset everybody and it will leave a sour taste for the practice as their first taste of a PA 
and that PA yeah. obviously won't get won't work either properly. So, um, yeah, have a good plan of what you want to do with your PA. Use your local PA ambassadors. There are PA ambassadors for most regions across England. Um, so NHS England, what used to be called Health Education England, and is now NHS Workforce Training and Skills. I think um, since the okay. merger. Get in contact with your local PA ambassador. They're, they're across the regions um, and they'll be able to advise and, and look at job plans and, and suggest um, ways of recruiting and, and that kind of thing. Take a PA student. If it's your first consideration of having a PA, really good way to understand how they work and what their potential scope might be um, would be to place and host a PA student. And if you like that student, and they like you, then it's a really good way for you to recruit them as well because you can offer them a job for when they finish their university course and they'll already know a bit about your practice and how your systems work and and have that sort of induction kind of feel to to both of you so you get to try before you buy that way. Um, So linking up to your local university courses, there are 35, 36, I think, at last count um, across the UK. So there will be local university courses offering PA students and they'll all need placement capacity and um, so if you're able to host a PA student get in touch with your local universities as well brilliant yeah no really good advice there um I suppose that just something I thought of as you were saying that then in terms of obviously placements for PA students and so on I've found with a lot of PA students that are or uh, physician associates that I'm working with who are speaking to them before they qualify or even just after they've qualified there seems to be a slightly more heavier weighting for some of them doing placements within secondary care than there does in primary care. Is that something that you feel needs to be addressed and it more be kind of even on both sides? Because it seems heavily weighted in favour of secondary care at the minute from from what I've seen. I'm glad you've noticed that too. Yes, it is. Considering almost half of the PA workforce works in primary care, i.e. not in hospital medicine, most of our PA training is very heavily secondary care skewed. And whether that's learning to do skills that are only done in secondary care, like, oh, I don't know, off the top of my head, like an ABG or a catheter, those kind of skills that you probably have to learn as a clinician, but they're weighted quite heavily and only really done in secondary care. And yeah. predominantly a lot of the PA placement time is, is skewed towards secondary care as well. So having more exposure to primary care is really important if we want PAs to work in primary care. So absolutely, if you're able to host a PA student and give them a good experience, give them a good time as a PA student, I would say nine times out of 10 for for PAs in my patch, that's where we end up working once we qualify in the GP practice that we've done our placements in. So it's a really good pipeline or a way of getting people into jobs in primary care is to have that student. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, and I suppose just kind of looking looking towards the future, I suppose, for physician associates in, in primary care. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of talk, you know, for, for a little while now about obviously the, I suppose, the main downside is, is the lack of ability to prescribe for, for physician associates. Um, I've heard and seen a lot of things saying that hopefully in the next year or two, this is potentially going to change i mean what what are your thoughts on you know physician associates being able to you know prescribe and obviously what impact that will have on the future of the role in in primary care sure so we are recording this podcast in the middle of june 2023 and and as it stands at the moment as it stands at the moment physician associates are an unregulated profession so The closest thing we have is a managed voluntary register, which is held through the Royal College of Physicians. 
the faculty of physician associates holds and manages that register to get onto that register in the first place you have to pass a national pa exam so one tidbit of information i would give to all practices is to make sure any pas you're appointing you're employing is on the physician associate managed voluntary register because that means that that pa will have passed their university course with no problems they will have passed the national pa exam set by the royal college of physicians and there's a a fitness to practice mechanism and a code of conduct mechanism to remain on that register and you need to be up to date with your CPD and those kind of things. So making sure that PA is on that register is really important up until the point where GMC regulation comes in. So we know that the General Medical Council for the first time in its 300 year history has been appointed to regulate physician associates, a, a different profession to doctors. It's the first time that's ever happened. So that is expected in late 2024. So about a year, 18 months from where we are at the moment. Anybody who's on the PA Managed Voluntary Register will get ported across to the GMC register and become a statutory regulated PA under the GMC once that's in place. It's really important for any PAs who aren't on the register themselves, get yourself on the PA MVR now. It'll make GMC regulation a lot easier. Once we are regulated, that then hopefully changes what the profession is able to do. So at the moment, we're unregulated. That means we cannot order ionizing radiation scans. We cannot order x-rays, CT scans. And you have to be a regulated profession before um, prescribing rights can even be thought about and discussed. So the first step on, on the pathway is to get regulation in place. In practice, there are three and a half, four thousand PAs working across the UK. And it doesn't really present a bigger barrier as you'd think to us working as you might expect on sort of first consideration. No, I can't prescribe. No, I can't order an x-ray at the moment. But I know I'm trained in what to prescribe, what not to prescribe, what is safe prescribing and, and when to suggest and use it. So I have to build up a trusting working relationship with the GPs in my practice. But I've worked with them for four or five years now. They know me. They know I'm not going to go rogue and, and suggest something a bit odd. So if I do need a prescription for one of my patients, it's usually a simple matter of me suggesting it and the GP reviewing my suggestion for a prescription and authorizing it and signing it. And that can take, you know, a few seconds or a quick discussion um, if it's something yeah. that I'm a little bit confused on. So it's not a huge barrier and it's actually quite safe because it means that two clinical minds are considering that prescription, double checking yeah. with each other that it's a sensible thing to do. Again, if I need a chest x-ray, it doesn't really stop my patients getting the care they need. It's just a simple matter of me asking a GP colleague with, this, with a quick task, could you just book this x-ray for me? The indication is X, Y, Z, and they'll put the request on for me. But once regulation's in place, and we hope that that's you know, 12 to 18 months from now, those issues might get resolved. We know that um, ionizing radiation regulations and those kind of things can be discussed once we're regulated and I fully expect prescribing rights to come through for PAs within the next couple of years as well. Yeah, fantastic. J just going off what you mentioned about moving over to the GMC register, um, is that quite straightforward for any PAs on the PAMVR to, to transition across then? Yeah, so uh, arrangements are still being made by the GMC and if it's something that you are particularly interested in. I've got a whole episode on it on my podcast feed about physician associates and GMC regulation. But the, the long and short of it is if you're on the PA managed voluntary register um, and you're in good standing and you're up to date with your CPD and all of that kind of stuff, you will automatically port across to the GMC. You'll have to fill in a self-declaration of, you know, uh, I declare that I've got no problems and I've got no issues outstanding and, and that I'm up to date, but it will be ported across 
onto the GMC register quite seamlessly. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, yeah, for, for running through all that. I mean, have you as a PA kind of, are there any kind of areas that you have expressed more of a kind of specialist interest in since you've been working in primary care or I suppose that goes for some of the other PAs that you work with as well yeah absolutely that is a huge huge topic to think about when you're a PA so if you're trained to be a doctor you 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 know you do medical school you choose which specialty you want to go into and your track is set you have to sit this exam by this royal college at this time this year and then you have to move the hospital and do this placement and you're on a conveyor belt of uh, going up and up to becoming a consultant doctor yeah. For PAs, none of that exists at the moment. And I love that. Some PAs really find that difficult to to comprehend and they want to be able to take an exam to prove their competence in a certain area. I love it that we have the flexibility to choose what we want to do when we want to do it and what our future career development looks like. It's big blue yeah. sky thinking as far as I'm concerned. So the fact that I worked in the hospital and GP, you know, half my week in both, that was a really innovative and really nice portfolio career that i enjoyed for several years i couldn't yeah. do that as a doctor i can only do that as a pa you you just wouldn't be able to do it as a doctor if you're training to become a gp that's what you're going to become if you're training to become a hospital doctor that's what you're going to become you can't mix and match the both so massive amount of blue sky thinking for pas in terms of career development what have i done so i've done my pg cert med ed um, because i'm really interested in medical education um other pas have gone on to do things like minor um, surgery um, courses, okay. joint injections. Um, we've had PAs that have done the Faculty of Sexual and Reproductive Health Diploma um, and in, in interuterine device impl- implementation, implantation. Easy for me to say. <laughs> um, we've got PAs that have done diplomas in um, geriatric care. Um, to prove their ability to look after you know frailty and, and older people and have end of life discussions and those sorts of things there's loads of stuff out there for pas to become specialized in dermatology and do dermoscopy and um, yeah. become you know really clinically expert in that or i've done a qualification improving diabetes care so there's absolutely loads okay. of cpd out there for pas some pas peer students especially get a little bit worried you know once i'm qualified is that all I'm ever going to be for the rest of my life. What, where's my career development? It is what you make it as a PA. If you want to yeah. do loads of career development, you you can find it all out there and absolutely get involved and do it. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, you know, sky's the limit and endless opportunities, I suppose. So yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, yeah. I mean, thank you. Thank you ever so much for taking the time um, this afternoon, James. It's been great to speak with you and really insightful to get a, a better understanding of you know, life of a, a PA within primary care. So yeah, thank you ever so much for, for taking the time to speak to me this afternoon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem at all.